Thank you. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me this morning. We'll be looking at Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 1 through 44. If you don't have a Bible, you can snag one in front of you there, or just look at the printout that we have there in the bulletin. Um, we, we decided that uh, a good start to a new year is spending some time thinking on the theme of rest and Sabbath. And I landed on this text in particular uh, because for a variety of reasons, but, uh, you know, it, t- it teaches a lot about what Sabbath is and, um, you know, that sort of thing. But more than that, it, it's deeply sobering to who we are as people. And it teaches us one thing in particular, and that is we don't do Sabbath very well. I would invite you as we turn to this to, to bear that in mind. We're about to take up and read, but before we do, let us ask for the Holy Spirit's help in prayer. Gracious Lord, how you have given us your word and your Sabbath to know you and to rest in you. But Lord, the tug of our heart is to work and to make our own paths and to establish our own righteousness and justification. But Lord, now give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to know the reality that you are the God who accomplishes all that he sets out to do. Let us see that now from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of our Lord from Ezekiel chapter 20, starting with verse 1. In the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Is it to inquire of me that you come? As I live, declares the Lord, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, O son of man? Will you judge them? Let them know the abominations of their fathers and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, cast away your detestable things which your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away their detestable things that their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, that I should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt." So I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, 
I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules by which a person, if he does them, shall live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands, because they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. Nevertheless... My eye spared them, and I did not destroy them or make a full end of them in the wilderness. And I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and keep my Sabbaths holy that they may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I'm the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. They profaned my Sabbaths. They said, then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of na the nations in whose side I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries because they had not obeyed my rules but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths. Their eyes were set on their father's idols. Moreover, I gave them statutes that were not good and rules by which they could not have life. And I defiled them through their very gifts in their offering up of all their firstborn, that I might devastate them. I did it that they might know that I'm the Lord. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, thus says the Lord God, in this also your fathers blasphemed me by dealing treacherously with me. For when I had brought them into the land that I had sworn to give them, then whenever they saw any high hill or any leafy tree, there they offered their sacrifices, and there they presented the provocation of their offering. There they sent up their pleasing aromas, and there they poured out their drink offerings. So I said to them, what is the high place to which you go? So its name is called Bama to this day. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and go whoring after their detestable things. Then you present your gifts and offer up your children with fire. You defile yourselves with all your idols to this day. And shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. What is in your mind shall never happen. The thought, let us be like the nations, like the tribes of the countries, and worship wood and stone. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will bring you out 
from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you were scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with wrath poured out. I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face, as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you his idols now and hereafter, if you will not listen to me. But my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. For on my holy mountain, the mountain high of Israel, declares the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them, shall serve me in the land. There I will accept them, and there I will require your contributions and your choicest of your gifts with all your sacred offerings. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you. And when I bring you out of the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered, I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give to your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourself, and you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed. You shall know that I am the Lord your God when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. That is the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading and preaching of it. So, What's going here, what's going on here in particular in this text, the Lord is really looking to Israel to establish a, a historical reality, but also to lay out a promise for his people. Uh, so before we really jump into the, the core of what this text is about, it's a rather large passage, should maybe put some handles on it. Here's the structure. First and foremost, the, the elders come and they inquire of God. They show up to the Lord because things aren't going particularly well. Uh, the, the nations surrounding them are coming in and overtaking them. And so they go to Ezekiel and say, go before the Lord and ask of the Lord. Because we just don't understand why things aren't going so hot for us these days. I don't know. It might be the idols, but then again, it might not be. I don't know. And, and so the Lord, in his frustration, looks to his people and says, are you really going to ask me this? Are you actually asking me why things aren't going particularly well? Why I'm not going to fight your battles for you? That's because you've forsaken me. And so the Lord, in his explanation, goes through three historical cycles, because there are three generations that he mentions. The generation that's in Egypt, the wilderness generation, and the generation at present here with Ezekiel. And the the historical cycles kind of unfold like this. The Lord recounts the promises that he's given to his people, uh, that God has promised his people that they will have rest and that they'll dwell with the Lord in the place of the Lord, that he will be their God, they'll be his people and he'll dwell in their midst. Next, the people rebel and then the Lord acts for the sake of his name 
He brings forth judgment. But it's very interesting that at the end, the last aspect of these historical cycles is the Lord always restores. It's almost shocking that that you hear the, the idolatry of the people and then the wrath of the Lord, but then he says things like, but I withheld my hand and I acted for the sake of the name that should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. I could have given you what you deserved, but I didn't for the sake of my name. Now, it's interesting, too, that the third cycle is actually an incomplete cycle because it's addressing the generation uh, of Ezekiel's time that's in- inquiring of the Lord. And the Lord you know, pauses and says, now look to what you're doing now, like what the ridiculousness of your inquiring of me, why things aren't going well. Uh, there will be wrath. But at the very end, verses 33 through 44, the Lord makes a promise, uh, a promise that there will in fact be final restoration. There will be complete rest one day as the people of God dwell with their God at rest because their God has brought them rest, being restored because their God has restored them. So bearing that in mind, let's first ask this question, what is Sabbath and rest? And one of the big reasons why I picked this text in particular is the very core of this entire text hinges on verse 12. What is Sabbath and rest? Here's what the text says. Verse 12. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them. Um... Oftentimes, in really what, what these signs that the Lord gives his people are, the, these signs are a, a function, uh, and they function as a constant covenantal reminder. There's this constancy with signs that the Lord gives his people to tell them perpetually, I'm the Lord your God. I'm your Lord. But, but this sign in particular, the sign of the Sabbath, is, is somewhat of a unique sign in the fact that it's a celebratory sign. It's not just a sign to, to kind of remind them that the Lord is, is just the Lord, but it's, it's a sign that's saying uh, not only does the Lord begin his work, but he also sovereignly completes it. And you can see that in a variety of places, but you know, especially the Ten Commandments, this is where this is highlighted with Uh, the command to to keep the Sabbath day holy. In uh, Exodus chapter 20, there's this call to to remember the Sabbath day. Why? Because the Lord not only began to make creation, but sovereignly completed creation. That's what the text means in Genesis whenever it said that on the seventh day the Lord rested. What was he doing? He was saying, I've sovereignly completed that which I've set out to do. What's interesting, though, that in the parallel passage of, uh, of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it, it's the same call, uh, remember or obey the Sabbath day, but the grounding, the reason why is actually in a different thing. It's not actually creation in Deuteronomy 5, but it's redemption. Remember the Sabbath. Why? Because I brought you out of the land of slavery. And so in both cases, what's being said here, this sign of Sabbath is a celebration that the Lord who begins his work sovereignly completes it, whether it's creation or redemption, that which the Lord promises he will do, he brings to completion. 
Um, I like what I think um, probably the greatest biblical scholar in the past 70 years was a man by the name of Meredith Klein. He's almost impossible to read, so maybe don't buy his books. But he's very good. I call it Kleinian Klingon because um, it's, you can't hardly understand it. But here's, he has a genius definition. Here's what he says. The celebration of God's completed work is how the Bible defines rest or Sabbath. Do you you hear what the Lord's doing with the Sabbath? He's telling us, come and celebrate this reality. I'm the one who began a good work, but I'm also the one who sovereignly completes that same work. So what does this sign do? Well, this sign is a tangible reminder that God completes all that he sovereignly sets out to do. And so there's this this constant call for us to come and to celebrate this reality that, that God who spoke and galaxies came into existence and mountains came forth and the oceans appeared... And the God who, who speaks today and, and people spiritually spring forth from their graves singing glories to the triune God, the God who has accomplished redemption by sending forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, is the same God who's promised that he'll restore all things, that he'll bring his people into a new heavens and a new earth, into a restored creation, into a true and final rest. That God who has done those things, sovereignly completed it, is also the God who's promised to sovereignly complete the fullness of his redemption. In essence, the Sabbath is a sign that says, hallelujah, God did this and God will do this. But secondly, and this is interesting too, see the second part of verse 12, what else does the Sabbath do? The Sabbath reminds us that God sanctifies us. See what it says. The Sabbath uh, as a sign between me and them that they might know that I'm the Lord who sanctifies them. What covenantal signs do it's, a, it's a, a, a sign that declares that this group is not like everybody else. This group is something different from the rest of the world. Once again, Klein says this. So the observation, or uh, yes, observation of the Sabbath is a confession that Yahweh is his Lord and the Lord of Lords. What Klein is saying is that the call here for Israel and the call for for Christians to observe the Sabbath, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, to actually rest, it is a call and a confession that says, the Lord is my Lord, and he's the Lord of all. The Sabbath uh, and, and this sort of rest is a uniquely Christian privilege that counterculturally says this, I am not my own Lord, and neither is my work, and neither is my boss, and neither is my hobby, 
But the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of creation, and the Lord of redemption, he alone is my Lord. That's what the Sabbath is actually calling us to do. That's how it's a sign. That's how it sets us apart. It says that God is who he says he is. And God does what he says he'll do. But how have we missed the Sabbath? Well, we're an awful lot like Israel so much of the time. See, see how things go. The, the Lord caused them to cast away their, their detestable things. Verse 8, but they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the, the land of Egypt. Verse 13, but the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. And the Sabbath they greatly profaned. Then I said, I will pour out my wrath upon them. Uh, once again, in verse 21, but the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. Here's what they've done. The Lord has given them this glorious call to restful celebration in the lordship of the Lord. And what has Israel done instead? We don't like celebrating the Lord. We, we want to be like the nations who don't have rest. We want to be like everybody else who doesn't follow after the way of the Lord and dies. That's what we want. See what they've done. They've rejected their ability to live as creatures in God's creation. They, they long to cling to the idols who have never started anything and will never accomplish anything because of this reason. You can manipulate those gods. And there's a good chance that probably they do this because, well, they want to be just like the nations because at least if nothing else, they'll fit in. They'll stop getting picked on on the playground. But what have they actually solved? Nothing really. They've sown the seeds of destruction. They've gone the way of the world that leads to, to withering and dying. And to be quite honest, we do much of the same. We fail constantly to recognize God's lordship, don't we? We've rejected our finitude and our creatureliness. We've rejected uh, also one of the most vital aspects of our Christian witness, especially in this day and age. Our, our covenantal distinctiveness, we, we've completely lost it because of the reality that we don't recognize this sign called Sabbath. Our posture is just like the rest of the world. We run around frantic, as they say around here, like a bunch of chickens with their heads cut off. There's no distinction between us and the world because we failed to see who God is and who we are. And that's maybe at least part of why we're worn out. It was uh, one of the, the, the great Princetonians, I want to say B.B. Warfield's grandson, found himself in San Francisco in the early 1900s and as happens regularly in San Francisco, there was a large earthquake. And the whole city was, you know, just up in a blaze. And everybody's running around 
It's again like a chicken with their heads cut off. And, and a reporter was there reporting on uh, this massively tragic instance. Uh, you know, the city has been utterly destroyed. People are, are dead or injured everywhere. And as he's walking down the sidewalk, he, he's, you know, trying to recount all the events. And he sees this dapper young man walking down the sidewalk with all the confidence in the world. And something sparks in the reporter's mind, and he turns to the young man and says, young man, what is the chief end of man? And the young man turned back around and said, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the reporter said, I thought you were a catechism kid. But see what the young man has done. The young man from his birth has been raised to live in light of this Sabbath. He has the mark of the Sabbath upon him, a posture that while the rest of the world burns, he recognizes the reality. Yeah, the world's fallen, but he's made a glorious promise that he'll restore all things, that he'll make all things new. I believe that with all my heart. Isn't this one of the, the most vital Christian witnesses that we could possibly do for a world of burnout and hurt and exhaustion? Shouldn't the mark of the church at least be one that the world who seeks to destroy itself suddenly looks at us and says, isn't it strange how they don't eat each other like we do? Isn't it strange that they have a posture that doesn't seek to undermine and destroy each other, but instead they love one another? They have a posture of kindness and patience and long-suffering. I wonder what that's about. Their pace is just generally more restful. It's like, I don't know, maybe they think that it's all going to be okay. That somebody actually is upholding all things by the power of his word. That maybe there actually is some good news in the world after all. That, that maybe death and despair don't have the final say. Maybe there's something to that. I, I was reminded of, of that wonderful scene in, in C.S. Lewis's The Silver Chair where the, the pessimist of all pessimists, Puddle Glum, is sitting there uh, having a discourse with the witch. And Puddle Glum is trying to explain, you know, I, I'm from a different place, you understand. I'm from the overworld. And the witch says, there's no overworld. And Puddle Glum goes to, on to explain, well, of course there is. I mean, I might not have been there, but that's where I'm from. And, and there's, there's this figure, his name is Aslan, and he upholds all things. And there's this glorious place called Narnia. And there's hope and there's beauty. And that's where I'm from. And the witch looks at him and says, there's no, there's no Aslan. And there's no overworld, and there's no Narnia, and there's a subtext there that says there's no hope. And you, you remember Puddle Glum's response, don't you? I'm going to live like a Narnian. That's his call, and that's the call of the Christian. 
in a world that screams there's no hope, we say, actually there is. I'm going to live like a Narnian because I do have hope and because the stories are actually true and there is an Aslan and there is an overworld and there is a Narnia. You might not be able to see it, but that world is more real than the world you live in, my friend. That's the call of the Sabbath that casts its eyes forwards and says, the sovereign Lord upholds all things by the power of his word. And he'll bring to pass all that he's promised to set out to do. And so we see in this text in particular, and this is one of the draws to this text, is it, it concludes this way. By looking at a sovereign Lord who sovereignly promises to sovereignly accomplish everything. Namely this. Verse 44. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. See the anticipation and see the glory that you have, O Christian, to say, I've seen that accomplished. I look at the cross and I see how he fulfilled his promise. I see a resurrected Lord that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I've seen the promises of the Lord come to fruition, and I believe with all my heart the hope that the Lord has set before us, that he'll bring us to himself, that we'll dwell with our risen Lord, the slain lamb, and the new heavens and a new earth. And we experience now rest in anticipation for eternal rest. And so let us come and celebrate that, the Sabbath of the Lord, and rest in these promises. Amen. Let us go to him now in prayer. Oh, gracious Lord, how you have brought us here this day to bear witness to the reality of your accomplished work. Lord, we, of all people, are a people of hope, a people of a sure hope that look to the accomplished work of Christ on our behalf. And so, Lord, now as we are gathered to your table, the place to celebrate this rest and this work that you've accomplished by your son on the cross in anticipation for the final rest. Oh Lord, may we do that with joyous hearts, longing for the day where we look and see you face to face at the wedding supper of the Lamb. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.